we try and understand our consumer individually now because we have so much digital information about them. But with our employees and with our subcontractors and with our new hires, we put them into a big bucket category and we say you're one of these. We don't think about them individually. And I wonder if that's what's going to change. Well, welcome uh, again to another episode of the podcast of Beyond the Bus. all in the special series about HR and talent. Uh, today, uh, we're going to host a special uh, podcast around the digital skills and the digital talent gap. Uh, and my name is Frank Wammers. I'm the CTO for Capgemini Europe. And uh, with me, I've got Will Pichi, Global People Supply Chain Officer for Capgemini. Uh, Will, welcome to have you on the podcast again. It's lovely to talk to you again, Frank. It's uh, really nice to be here. Yeah, and, and it's a very important uh, moment in time because uh, we just released a, a great uh, report together with LinkedIn all around the digital gap. Uh, and, and, and uh, well, we already had some podcasts and I think, you know, this was really a topic that basically came out of it. What, what is the digital gap? What, 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 is, what is the digital gap for you? What are, if you have discussions with clients, you know, what do they consider as the digital gap? So, Frank, I think um, it's a really lovely asset that the Digital Transformation Institute, that Capgemini is a kind of uh, a leader um, in that institute, and LinkedIn have put together. You can find, if you're looking for the PDF and you're listening to Frank and I talk today, uh, you can find this if you just search Capgemini Digital Talent Gap in the search engine of your choice, or you go onto the Capgemini website and have a dig around. It's pretty easy to find. Um, I thought the report itself was super interesting because I hear all the time that our customers, um, and let's be honest, us as Capgemini and other professional services companies like us, we all struggle to build the right kind of digital skills. And uh, the digital talent gap tells us that that's true, that the gap, uh, it comes up with a couple of kind of good conclusions that I thought were really interesting, that the gap is widening. There's not just the kind of hard skills like can you code some CSS, can you write in in a, uh, in Java and JavaScript, uh, but soft skills are just as important. Um, and uh, as people are growing up through a digital career path, they need some digital type soft skills to have them tie together. Um, like a, just as a good example, like passion for learning because the technology changes so often. Um, and it, I, I thought it was also really useful because it didn't just say, Hey, here's all the t- gaps and you need to go and build some, some actions to bridge the gaps. But it also was useful because it talked about how anxious our people are, um, around the world as they look at how quickly the skill profile changes and how long they have to become specialists in digital skills um, and how anxious that makes them um, and and how they feel about the kind of training that companies are traditionally giving them and working around that. So, yeah, really interesting report, Frank, um, worth a bit of a skip through uh, and, and interesting to talk about today as well. Yeah. Yeah, you also already, and I think, uh, you know, based uh, on this uh, or linked to uh, this publication, you wrote a very interesting blog. And uh, when I read through your blog, uh, I had to remind on a meeting that I had uh, on Monday, actually, 
I was in uh, in uh, San Francisco in uh, in Capgemini Supply Innovation Exchange, and I had the opportunity to meet uh, Gary Bowles. Gary Bowles, uh, he chairs the Future of Work uh, part of the Singularity University, and he gave a speech uh, to one of our clients around, you know, where 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 do I think, you know, work is moving? How do I see uh, change being managed by companies? And one of the elements that he started with was that he said, you know, things are moving so rapidly and, and companies, big companies have difficulty with it because in the past, if you look at a technology perspective, everything was in the stack. So, you know, if you look from a technology perspective and, and, and the skills that you need to have, it was, you know, quite simple because, you know, you bought a software package and basically, you know, it was from the server to the application and everything was almost like in, in a fixed stack. He said, but what's happening now is that basically the stack is being churned into pieces. So you've got the application layer, so you've got all these different layers. He says, and the, and, the, and, the, and the problem that I see is that that also requires a change. If I now bring that back to your uh, to your document, it's almost like exactly the thing that you that you say. You know, where in the past uh, your your technology skills were based on major vendors like you know IBM, SAP. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've got this breakup into pieces. Can you elaborate a little bit on that one? Because I thought his perspective was quite brilliant. And then I wrote your document and I thought, yeah, that, that's well, this is the second time now that I hear about this breaking up of the layers. So I think, yeah, uh, my observation would be that in the past, it's allowed the technology team in your organization to, to be honest, be a bit lazy. Someone else has done the skilling of your technology team and the certification of your technology team for you because they get such an enormous benefit from selling you proprietary software and locking you in. And you can see that with the behavior of IBM certification or certifying as an SAP consultant or a Cisco certified network professional. You can see that really clearly, can't you? And yeah. as we've had this trend of open source, so the value that, you, that the supplier of the software gets diminishes significantly because the, you know, the, it, even if you're implementing Red Hat, for example, you're, you're still spending such a tiny amount of money compared to an old IBM mainframe operating system. So that idea um, of who's going to give the career path and who's going to give the certification um, for microservices architecture in your organization, it switches from being the vendor to having to be you again. Um, you as the technology leadership team inside your organization, uh, you as the, um, uh, as the software engineering community lead, whatever it's going to be. Um, each uh, quarter inside Gemini as part of my role managing workforce planning, uh, thinking about the skills and capabilities our people need. I write a strategy document that looks at the trend of skills and the development of skills. And in my summertime one, I spent a bit more time looking at what are we recruiting as a kind of an indication, particularly what are we recruiting in the US? And it's really interesting to see the growth of recruitment demand for micro web services microservices architecture um and there is nothing in 
web services and microservices architecture that comes out of one single organization. I suppose the Apache Foundation is the closest you get to it, don't you, isn't it? But yeah. if you think about Spring and REST and Node and Docker and, you know, Agile and on and on and on, they're all little startups that you've got to somehow think about how is this going to plug together into a team. It's so difficult in comparison to what we used to do with SAP. And uh, and uh, you have to understand it, and that calls for a big change in the capability of my uh, of my management community to begin to understand what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I totally agree. I touch upon uh, one of the the big trends at this moment in time, which which I see accelerating right now. And and actually, I was a big believer when we had in the 2006 2007 the start of the the service oriented architecture. Which, which was the big promise, but you know, yeah. I think because of the, the, the lack of technical ability to really implement that full scale in organizations, you know, that took quite a while, but now with microservices architecture based on this whole open source wave, uh, rolling into companies, this is something that actually takes place. And that, and that indeed brings uh, where, where Gary Ball say, you know, we had this stack and now we, we have different layers. Actually, you already addressed the point of microservices, which basically is not about layers anymore, but is about subsets of a very uh, high granularity of small services, which combine things. And I think that is also, if you talk about services, then it also becomes, it's no longer a technical service. It's almost like, you know, a, a component of a business service. Yeah, which makes that, that it's not only that the technical people needs to have this digital capabilities, I think the business people actually now need to understand what this whole breakup of services would mean for them because that will give them the flexibility in, in their business. But, but is that something that we can expect from, from business people as well to understand, Will? What, what, what is your opinion? Well, I, this- I think that that is the transforming moment of digital inside the organization. Digital's had this amazing, uh, and in a sense, <laughs> a big personal bet on the fact that digital will transform inside the organization as well as outside the organization. And uh, as I as I look at the um, what's happened to digital as a customer experience, it cuts across all the different functional boundaries of the organization. And it integrates them all for the benefit of the customer. The consequence of doing that is um, when I then begin to think about my organization as an assembly of microservices architecture of components, each of which have a standard interface with every other, each of which I can assemble and disassemble as I need for my project. My traditional hierarchical way of thinking about the organization begins to fall apart. The idea of putting all the HR people together in an HR function and all the finance people in the finance function and all the operational uh, manufacturing people in the manufacturing function, that idea starts to fall apart if I believe in the idea that an organization can be assembled through web services. And that that is one of the big trends of the soft skills of, that's required in digital is I've got to understand the business context, how to relate to one another. There's there's the principles of Agile um, and Scrum. I've got to work out how to engage with these people that are really different from me. 
And then I've got to have some technical understanding as a business person and some business understanding as a technical person. And then you begin to see this rise of uh, industry-centered technical specialists, even at quite junior levels. And that really changes the way that our companies get managed um, and the uh, and that role of a manager. Yeah, so so basically, yeah, where we sometimes hear that every company becomes a software company, that means that every professional needs to know something about technology. Yeah. And every manager needs to begin to understand something about uh, the way their, their unit gets constructed and deconstructed continually. And you might argue that that as we get towards the end of that traditional hierarchical kind of stovepipe functions inside our organizations that we've so traditionally lived with, and we begin to see our organizations as a different kind of maybe project-based or team-based organizations. So Cisco certainly is kind of moving in that team-based model and having the chance to work with WL Gore, who are the people who uh, manufacture Gore-Tex, the, the um, uh, waterproof uh, polymer that sits inside lots of different yeah, types of clothing. Issues, yeah. they, they, they've been set up from the very beginning, uh, 50, 60 years ago, when they came out of DuPont, when uh, Gore, Bill Gore came out of DuPont. They've been set up with no hierarchical management at all. They've been completely focused on this idea of uh, teams and teams of teams, where people are given sponsors or coaches, which I know... You know, in in uh, lots of parts of Capgemini, we've moved to that kind of sponsor or coach based relationship as well as part of that trend. So it's really interesting to see how that's it's an old idea and a new idea. And it's a uh, and it's something that's really of the moment because of web services. But it's also of the moment because of the way that people are thinking about their future career. Yeah. But that means also added from a traditional perspective on how you looked at career paths and career profiles and competency charts, et cetera, that, that will completely change. Because if, if business people also now need to have technology or digital skills and the dig- digital skills from the technologists are, are going to be completely different, then you need to map that difference. So c- can you explain a little bit on, you know, how you could do that, or do you have some examples of people that are already really looking into that? I think I've got a particular point of view that I'm developing. I'm not sure it's strong enough to to have um, real clarity about it, but I'm I'm wondering whether the traditional HR idea of a, a career path and a competency-based model of a career path is coming to an end. Um, and I'll give you an example of that in our industry of technology, of, a, of being a software engineer. You start as a person who understands one kind of uh, software. You, We often, in our cynicism, describe these people as hackers um, because they know how to type in the code, but they don't really understand error exceptions and data, data handling and security and uh, performance and slowly as you work through your experience and you use software development tools more and more and you see yourself as part of a bigger picture you begin to learn those skills and you get promoted and uh, your competency grows as you understand testing methodologies and you become a bit more specialist you become your your soft skills grow as you engage with 
uh, end users to understand better and better about how your software is going to be used. Um, and often the path through software engineering moves you into architecture. Certainly, I started my technical career. Uh, I was an economist and I did lots of software hacking. And I moved to IBM and I, I went through a bit of a sheep dip of becoming a bit more of a certified software engineer. I went through that experience. But I wonder whether that really structured, governed, disciplined experience is kind of coming to the end. Um, and actually what we need is more like a lake that you jump into. Um, and wherever you land, you, you, land and we understand you as an individual rather than understanding you as you know step one of of, uh, of software engineering you know you, we categorize you and that's exactly what's happened isn't it with consumers we try and understand our consumer individually now because we have so much digital information about them but with our employees and with our subcontractors and with our new hires we put them into a big bucket category and we say you're one of these we don't think about them individually. And I wonder if that's what's going to change that idea of your career path. And we've done quite a lot of thinking around that, um, working with a number of different vendors and different people trying to push our ideas around on that idea. Yeah, yeah, I really like the, the comparison to that one, because indeed, you know, it's like for, for a consumer, we want to come to a segment of one and Target them as individual as possible, whereas our employees, we, we treat them like, you know, you're, let's put you into a bucket because that makes it easier for us to manage. But of course, then you will not leverage the, the power of the individual as we discussed in our previous podcast. Yeah. But in, in, in order to do that, of course, you, you, that, because if, as you already said, you know, this is a field which is, is uh, currently being in development. There's not real, you know, as a standard practice yet, that also means that probably for a lot of companies, this will be tremendous change. And one of the, the, the interesting aspects that Gary Bowles also described was like, you know, the, the fixed mindset versus the, the fluent mindset. So he referred it to like, you know, is the culture of the company that everybody is with the fixed mindset, therefore, you know, very difficult to, to change versus, you know, we, we've got this fluidity within our organization that actually, you know, and enables this change. To what extent, if, if you want to move and close this digital gap that, that had been identified in the report, to what extent is that really dependent on the culture of the organization or could you use it to change the culture of the organization? What's your opinion on that? Well, I think, I think this is where I get back to one of them. I can see three big trends. I can see a trend that um, is, I treat my employees individuals just like I treat my customers individuals. No more of this generalization of role families and, uh, and, and grades and bands and competency models. I can see a big trend, which is, uh, begin to think about knowing my people more. Um, and what to get out of telling me something? I can only treat you as an individual if I know about you. I need to find ways in the same way that Google has found a way to know more about me as a consumer and about my my uh, behavior because it's given me something really valuable. What do I know about my uh, about my people in the same way? And the last one is teams and teams of teams. Uh, and this idea uh, that I see coming is. Um, is the 
is the transformation of the organization from these strong hierarchical models of functional silos like finance and HR and begin to pull those apart to make you into a team and teams of teams. Um, and uh, and that gives you an opportunity to exercise your skill because you say, hey, I'd like to go and work on a project and I'd like to exercise this skill that I've trained myself in. I've taught myself um, uh, some uh, I've taught myself some more angular skills. I want, really want to work on an angular project. I want to do some visual front-end development. I want to do some logic that's baked into it. I want you to give me that kind of opportunity. If you're caught inside a silo, your chances of exercising that are really slim. So trying to help our people be smart generalists, to learn and to have a dynamic activity, you've got to change the organization structure that sits around them so they have a chance to exercise what they've learned. I think, Frank, if you if you keep people in these stovepipes, what ends up happening is they don't believe they've got a future in your organization. They can't exercise the skills that they've developed and you lose them. And that might be good for you bringing fresh, fresh blood in and new talent into your organization. But to be honest, you just end up churning constantly, don't you? So so trying to give people the opportunity to see the future inside your organization as a, as a new assignment, as a new team, as a new project. Don't let them get stuck. Give them mobility options. Um, that's a lot of what we're trying to do to make ourselves successful as well. And if you're in a small organization, how do you band together with five or six other small organizations, perhaps? And that's why we've seen so many of these incubator sites be so successful, is it allows a good person to develop and grow and not move very far and still stay in good relationship with their previous uh, with their previous team or their previous startup company. You know, I'm close by, I'll, I'll help you with my knowledge transfer or I'll stay in touch and maybe I'll come back in the future. So how do we cluster yeah. together smaller organizations and how inside big organizations do we drive this mobility uh, which really only comes through a team and assignment based model? Yeah, and I think they also uh, the, the, the one of the things that you addressed uh, is like uh, how, do, how do you make sure that you can you know move within the organization? I think the Spotify model, you know, where you have the squads and you know where you're, you are a member of a squad for a certain time, uh, which also comes back to what you wrote in your blog. Uh, that means that if, if if I switch over very very often, then probably you also will have a custodian or your coach will also mean that he will not be your coach forever. But he will be there for the specific function or the role that you temporarily have. The more yeah. that you, the, the more that you have it, and you, the more flexibility and fluidity that you have in your organization, it also drives the need for the individual to make sure that he has the right skill set. Because I think uh, that that's what went wrong. And sometimes I think about, you know, sometimes it's also good to have some people that are very stable that you know want to keep the operations running, etc. On the other hand, if if you have too much stability then you can hide away within the stovepipes and and it will not become very obvious fast that things are changing. And I think in the model as you describe it, the moment that you're not on top of your game, it becomes so obvious and, and then the, 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 the platform of urgency also increases. Is that, is that something yeah. you recognize? So I think that this is where, you know, uh, Rich Tyler, who's the economist who's just got the Nobel Prize um uh, for whatever it's called. It's not really economics, is it? It's uh, economics and business science or something, and it's not a proper prize anyway. But uh, all those things being said, 
uh, he came up with this idea that said people just aren't actually that rational. They've got all sorts of other things that drive them and we need to remind them and nudge them. So he came up with that idea of nudge economics or of behavioral economics that a, a really rational person will say, I mustn't get stuck. I must continue to move on because that's that allows me to to develop and grow and I can maximize my income and I I can manage my risk and I can diversify. But actually, it's, it's really hard work to change yourself, to push yourself on. And a rational and you know another way of looking at it is you damage all those relationships when you move. So an organization that wants to be agile has to have some systematic way within the organization to move people around and forming and decomposing squads or teams or assignments, whatever you want to call these multidisciplinary groups that you put together to address a specific issue with a community of people drawn from across the organization who work together with somebody at the who's leading it, who can draw, drive us through. But the next time we all come together, maybe someone else is leading it. Um, that really drives a dynamism through the organization. And I think it's one of the really big trends. If you're going to do that, you've got to have a mechanism that assigns people into these teams and then catches everybody when the team disassembles and reassigns everybody. And we've got a couple of really good tools. We've been working closely with a company called Retain International to help us do that, to track and manage our people, make sure that they're well um they're put onto projects well uh, and that we understand what they're doing and we understand something about their skills and capabilities and we can see those projects coming down the track. And you need a, uh, you almost need to think about that as your future HRERP. It's not enough to hold the data statically like a traditional ERP master data management. It's actually the future of HR becomes this dynamic assignment and this mobility driver which constantly is allowing people to move through your organization and not get stuck. There's our, there's, or there's my big idea for what does HR look like in the future. Yeah, cool. Well, for me, that is indeed a, a very good takeaway. Uh, to, to summarize a little bit, like, you know, the things that I got out of this discussion is indeed, you know, move from the traditional big ERP stovepipe systems towards microservices is something that also reflects back to the organizations. Rather to have the functional stovepipes, we go into Spotify squads where people, you know, will, will change more regularly. And coming back to your point, uh, it gives more freedom towards the, the, the people, but you also need to make sure that you can track then the people and help them go through their career path and guide them through their journeys actually within their organizations. And that, that means that you need to have a different perspective on your people, but you also need to have the right uh, systems in order to support it. And, and for me, the big takeaway, I thank you for that, is that I will no longer only talk about the segment of one when it comes to the way how you approach your customers, but you also need to talk about the segment of one uh, in approaching your individual uh, employees. And I think uh, if people take that, uh, these are there are no no fixed recipes yet, but I think these are very good suggestions to indeed close the digital gap, as described in the LinkedIn report that you can find on the Capgemini website. Uh, Will, I would like to thank you for now. Will, again, where can they uh, find you on uh, social if they want to further explore the, the discussion with you? Frank, I'm best uh, represented on LinkedIn, and I'm 
uh, super unusual Will Peachy. There's not very many of us Peachies around. Uh, so once <laughs> you find me, I'm easy to follow. Well, super. Thank you so much again, Will. Uh, uh, you can follow me on at uh, fwammers uh, at, uh, at Twitter or Frank Wammers on LinkedIn. And there are, there are a couple of them, but you probably will find me if you also type in <laughs> Gemini. So it will not be an issue. Thank you so much. And uh, nice well, I hope it was useful. Okay, speak to you. Bye-bye. Lovely time. Thanks, Frank. Bye.